You are about to embark on a journey. A journey where your worst fears become reality. A journey where hell is not below us, but amongst us. Don't be afraid, relax, and take a seat while I open the box of horrors. Good afternoon, horror story junkies. Welcome back to Box of Horrors. My name's Israel Johnson, and I'm your host. Thank you all for tuning in, and welcome back. And welcome to those who have not heard the podcast before. So, we're going to do two stories today. And on the first story, it's going to be titled The Leech. It's by Matthew M. Bartlett from Gateways to Abomination. And this story is about a man who hears voices in his cottage, in his empty cottage. So let's jump right into that story and let's see what that's all about. And then we'll come back and then we'll look at the next story and we'll go from there. Hope you guys enjoy this one. I haven't read this one and let's see what it's all about. See you guys at the end. Among the most ghastly sounds a man can hear is the sound of a voice in what he thought was an empty house. That is what Todd Wesson heard on an early morning in his remote cottage on the edge of a tall wood. He woke before he knew what woke him. Woke with a chill that ran from throat to bow and back again. Then he heard it again heard it awake, a guttural sing-song, a wavering creak. Up he jumped, hitting every light as he passed from bedroom to sitting room to sitting room to hall, hall to parlor. Then at the doorway to the front room, his foot stepped in wet. Before him, in a patch of moonlight, teetered a tall, silhouetted figure bloated and awkwardly posed, it stepped into the light. The man was purple, blue, black. His eyes were swollen shut, his nose a pimpled stone, his lips a blue ball bisected by a black blister of a tongue. A gray knot of bone jutted from his leg at the knee He raised to the ceiling in an unfathomable gesture, gnarled hands, with fingers fused together with mold and rot. We live deep down in the underwater towns, the figure burbled. Our screams, our bubbles, our fortunes drowned. Then the abomination slowly opened a gummed eyelid, its red eye harbored a cloudy cataract that searched the room and found Todd's own eyes. I'm terribly sorry, the thing belched. Can you point me toward the road to Prescott? Todd started to take a step backward, but something on the bottom of his foot prevented it reaching the floor. His foot flew out from under him. His left leg kicked up, and for a fleeting moment, 
he was hanging in space. He landed on his back, hard. Presently, he regained his breath and propped himself up on his elbows. The empty room was bluish with dawn light, the floor dry. A movement at his foot and he bent his knee to look. Clinging to his foot was a purple bloated leech. It humped obscenely at the arch slowly, foully. It shrank and pulled, puffing up like the throat of a frog. He felt nothing at his foot, but he swore he could feel all the blood in his body pulsing towards his legs. The next thrust pulled down his love, the next his memories, the last his mind. He detached himself from the thin white man and inched along the floor, fat and round and deliriously full. The spines of his books loomed large above him like buildings in a cramped city, each letter too massive to read. He wept and he pulled himself forward and forward and then a shadow fell over him. He reared back his flat head and saw a pale foot descending. The thin translucent membrane that was his skin burst and everything went red. The thin pale thing in the house gibbered and shook and trembled. It rose and opened the door and shambled down the walk. All these stories are getting me ready for Halloween. Anyway, our next story is titled The Sons of Ben 3. It's also by Matthew M. Bartlett. And it's about a boy who has strange dreams of a man who turns out to be his actual father that he's never met. And on top of that, he's just learned that he actually was not adopted. So let's see what that's all about. See you guys at the end. It always happened at the craggy precipice of sleep. So I never knew if it was a dream or a memory. I was swimming in brown water, terrified I might be swimming down, away from the surface. But then I would emerge, bellowing out breath, the water crumbling to dust around me, a flat steel sky with black painted clouds above. I would crawl, then through an askew city of rounded, flat, windowless buildings carved with unfathomable graffiti. My elementary school, a few flat, one-story buildings connected by windowed corridors, lay across a narrow access road from the cemetery. A modest playground was situated by the inner curve of the road. I was making swirlies in the sandbox with my fingers when I first saw the tall man standing at the wrought iron fence. He was bald on top, long-haired, the hair a flat brown damp. He wore tiny wire glasses that sat crookedly across a substantial and accusatory nose, a white shirt that showed shadowed ribs 
from under a dark gray waistcoat. He did not have to beckon with his long finger. His eyes, a brilliant blue, called me across the road. I was six. He could have been forty. He could have been fifty. How did I know that he was my father? I had known only that my mother was my mother and had been so for eternity. I had known forever that the man who lived with her could not have been my real father, though that was the charade. He treated me like a baffling stranger, and I was grateful for it. He was vaguely unpleasant, and one sensed he was somehow off. The armpits of his white striped shirts were perpetually stained. He spoke bumbly into a dopey and sing-song voice. He worked at and for the church in some capacity I never understood, and the Lord came first for him, perhaps only for him. He seemed removed. His conversations with my mother were hushed and muted and few. They would read most nights, she her romances, and he his worn Bible. But the man at the cemetery was a vital man, a man who looked at the world with fire and at me with only embers, which I regarded as warmth, warmth and excited recognition. The first time I saw him, as I said, I went to him across the road. He knelt and regarded me, grinning widely. I noted that behind his yellowed teeth was another full set of teeth, top and bottom, also yellow, also pointing this way and that. His gums were red and below and above his canine split to the bone. He said to me that day the following, you must always take what you want, however you can. You'll find, he said, that once you are known for taking what you want, you won't have to anymore. It will be given to you freely. Then he rose, not without effort, and strode away. I went back across the street, and Mrs. Weiser looked at me quizzically, and with trepidation, I shrugged and went in to fetch my coat and go home. The next time I saw the man was not more than a week later. It was drizzling rain. He was by the fence again, and I rushed to his side. He told me I knew who he was. He said, I have some history for you. Listen carefully and do not speak. You were not born alone. You had a twin. I knew that one of you was good and one of you was evil. Like in a fairy tale, I buried the evil boy next to the mausoleum. He gestured. The mausoleum was a small, windowless brick house with a pointed roof and a small, crooked spire. I only saw him once more, years later, as I was showing my new wife my old school. She was in using the bathroom, and I turned, and there he was. He was grinning at me. 
but he turned and strode away when I approached. He looked like a giant bird to me, somehow as though black wings would spout from his back, and he would leap into the air, blotting out everything he didn't. He merged with the fog. I walked to where he had stood, and there was a transitor radio, leaning up against the fence, rusted with age. A window revealed squarish white numbers along a gray line, a red line bisecting the eights most of the way to the left. I turned it on, and his voice spoke through a squeal of static. It's an antique, he said, drawing out and tasting the word. When I was 15, I went to the mausoleum, and next to it found a patch of lighter colored grass. I had brought with me a shovel, and I dug as the crickets chirped all around me. The blade hit wood, and I pulled up a small box. I lifted the twisted, torn black clasp and raised the lid. The box was empty, but I remembered from long ago the inside of the box, the smell of varnish and the lines of light that glowed glowed more faintly, and then disappeared. Ooh, so he was the crazy kid. Interesting. I wonder how he got out of that burial. Well, that concludes this episode of Box of Horrors. Once again, my name is Israel Johnson. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and I'll see you next time on Box of Horrors. Enjoy your weekend. And as I flew from the soul as a feather into your pocket where I'll haunt myself Top spinning to a fall Looking up where